Hello, everyone, and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, a weekly way of expanding your brain. Six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex, and this week we are going to space. It's been a while since Six Pack of Facts has traveled into the cosmos, and I am very excited because we are digging into two extremely extreme astronomical heavyweights neutron stars and black holes. One day, about four and a half billion years from now, our sun will swell into a red giant, potentially expanding beyond Earth's orbit, before shedding its outer layers and settling down into a white dwarf stage for trillions and trillions of years. But this isn't the fate for all stars. When a star four to eight times as massive as our sun reaches the end of its first stage of stellar life, it can transform to something much, much more extreme than a white dwarf, a neutron star. When these massive stars burst into a supernova, the outer layers blow off, leaving behind an extremely dense core that just keeps on collapsing. Under this incredible gravity, the material of the core is pressed so tightly together that it combines protons and electrons into neutrons. This material is unbelievably dense. If you could stroll up to a neutron star and scoop a single teaspoon from its surface, it would weigh about a billion tons. That is, of course, if you weren't immediately crushed by the star's gravity, which is two billion times stronger than Earth's on average. The violent supernova birth of neutron stars have another side effect. They make the star spin really fast. Neutron stars can spin up to 43,000 times a minute, or more than 700 full spins every single second. Neutron stars come in a couple different flavors. First, we have pulsars. From far away, pulsars seem to, well, pulse. On and off, on and off. But pulsars are more like lighthouses than light bulbs. A pulsar emits two narrow beams of light in opposite directions. As it spins, the light sweeps across a particular field of view, appearing to flicker. These pulses also emit large amounts of radio waves and have extremely strong magnetic fields. But even a pulsar's magnetic field can't compare to the amazing magnetism of the next flavor of neutron star, the magnetar. Magnetars have the strongest magnetic fields in the entire universe, often a trillion times stronger than the magnetic field of our sun. They also emit violent bursts of X-ray and gamma-ray light. But here is a bit of a twist. Pulsars and magnetars might not be completely distinct bodies after all. Some scientists theorize that pulsars and magnetars are the same body at different stages in its cosmic evolution. It could be radio waves first, then magnetic fields, or the other way around. No one is entirely sure just yet. In 2016, astronomers detected gravity waves for the first time ever thanks to the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO. 
LIGO detected the massive collision of two black holes, but neutron stars can crash together in the same way. A year later, in 2017, LIGO detected the collision of two neutron stars and, amazingly, recorded the frequencies made by the waves. After a bit of tuning to make them audible to human ears, scientists released this. The actual sound, in heavy air quotes, of two neutron stars colliding. Listen to this. Yep, massive neutron stars bashing into one another sounds like an adorable bloop. You're amazed by the density and extreme conditions of neutron stars? No, you sweet summer child. Hold on to your butts. It's time for black holes. Every single object in the universe, including you and I, dear listener, has something called a Schwarzschild radius. The Schwarzschild radius is the radius an object must reach to form a black hole. For instance, the Sun's Schwarzschild radius is around 1.9 miles. If that star were to be compressed down into a ball that size, its own gravity would overwhelm everything, causing the whole darn thing to collapse down into an infinitely dense point known as a singularity. Boom. A black hole. Just for fun, the Schwarzschild radius of Earth is around 9 millimeters. Of course, if the Earth gets crushed down that small, we won't have to worry about the effects of the coming black hole, that's for sure. But objects in space don't randomly compress like this. Most black holes are formed when a star fuses heavier and heavier elements until it reaches iron. This is problematic, because iron requires more energy to fuse than it creates. Once a massive star reaches this stage, the end is nigh. There isn't enough outward energy to preserve its gravitational balance, and gravity wins the fight. Even though black holes are some of the most powerful objects in the entire universe, they're not eternal. Over enough time, and that's a long, long time, even black holes evaporate through a process called Hawking radiation. Now, Stephen Hawking described the radiation as such. Pairs of particles, positive and negative, are constantly popping into existence, but almost instantaneously cancel each other out. Except when they form near the event horizon of a black hole. When that happens, one of the pair is sucked into the black hole while the other radiates outward as lost energy. Over time, this process makes the black hole Go poof. Kind of nuts, right? Except that's not how it really works. And this is where my astronomical limits are reached, because this stuff is really mind-blowing. So I'm just going to read a short passage from a great Forbes article called How Do Black Holes Actually Evaporate? The root of the problem isn't that particle-antiparticle pairs are popping in and out of existence, but that different observers have different views and perception of particles. And this problem is more complicated in curved space than in flat space. Basically, one observer would see empty space, but an accelerated observer would see particles in that space. 
The origin of Hawking radiation has everything to do with where that observer is and what they see as accelerated versus what they see at rest. The result is that black holes wind up emitting thermal blackbody radiation, mostly in the form of photons, in all directions around it, over a volume of space that mostly encapsulates approximately 10 Schwarzschild radii of the location of the black hole. You got all that, right? As far as how long this process takes, a black hole the mass of our sun would take 10 to the 67th years to evaporate. The black hole at the center of the Milky Way would take 10 to the 87th years, and the most massive black holes in the universe could take up to 10 to the 100th years to fully evaporate. That is much, 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 much longer than the current age of the universe. Alright, so all of this is pretty amazing, but it's all a bit detached. So let's talk about what would happen if you actually fell into a black hole. As you glided towards the black hole, more and more of your field of view would be taken up by pure darkness. At a certain point of your journey, but not yet at the point of no return, you would reach the photon sphere, an area around the black hole where photons orbit the object, thanks to the intense gravity swirl. Here, theoretically speaking, you could look to your left and see the back of your own head, thanks to the light reflecting off the back of your head being shot around the black hole to your eyes. Keep moving closer and you'll eventually reach the event horizon. This is it. There's no going back after this point. Not even light can escape. Let's back out a little bit and imagine your friend was watching you drift into the black hole. What would they see? They would see you float closer and closer to the black hole before slowing down and slowing down and slowing down until you just stopped. To them, you would be frozen in time, and eventually that ghostly image would get more and more redshifted until you simply vanished from existence. This goes back to light not being able to escape. Since no light from beyond the event horizon can reach your friend, they're left with that last image before you dip below the point of no return. Back to you. The next stage of the journey depends on what type of black hole you're falling into. If it was a supermassive black hole, the kind found in the center of galaxies, you'd be able to free fall toward the singularity for quite a long time without feeling discomfort. Smaller mass black holes, however, have much more extreme gravitational forces over shorter distances. Eventually, the gravity affecting your feet would be so much more intense than the gravity affecting your head that it would stretch you like a spaghetti noodle, in a process that is fittingly called spaghettification. But no matter what type of black hole you fell into, the ending is the same. The singularity. An infinitely small, infinitely dense point of time and space. What happens then? No one knows. It's an area so extreme that all rules of physics simply stop making sense. Maybe all of your matter gets completely destroyed, breaking a fundamental rule of physics. Maybe you get shot out of a white hole into space somewhere else in the universe. Maybe you end up in an entirely different universe. We just don't know. And there you have it. The massive, extreme, 
unreal but very real astronomical amazingness of neutron stars and black holes. I hope your mind is spinning right now. I know mine is. And I also hope it comes to a relative stop before our next episode. Until then, as always, stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.